Welcome to Rise with Hope, Hope Sheds Light's weekly podcast. Join us as we tackle the real issues, share actual stories, offer a little strength, and provide a whole lot of hope to families and our loved ones impacted by addiction. Hey everyone, welcome to Rise with Hope. This is Pam from Hope Sheds Light. This is our second podcast uh, segment, and I'm here today with Arvo Prima. Arvo is one of the co-founders of Hope Sheds Light. He's also the owner and principal of Prima Builders in Tom's River. How you doing, Arvo? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining me today and our audience. We felt it was important to start with the founders of Hope Sheds Light to kick off our podcast series, because for me, I know that in getting to know you, I got to understand so much more intimately the journey that family members go on. Even though I've had my own personal experiences with my niece and my daughter-in-law, really hearing your stories and and also witnessing firsthand how you move through it and what you've created from your story, uh, first of all, attracted me to the agency, but also just moved me as a person. And uh, I wanted an opportunity to have you talk a little bit about that to our audience. And I'm just gonna guide you through that along the way. Is that okay? That's fine. Perfect. It will get a little personal, um, but I don't know you to be a shy guy. So, <laughs> so, I mean, I think the first thing would be helpful is to just lay the foundation, give us a little bit of an understanding for those of, of those of the people out in our audience who don't know anything about you. Tell us what brought you to Hope Sheds Light. So I'll go back um, 40 some years when I was maybe 10 years old and my mom was struggling with alcoholism and addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, we had, uh, it was a, my brother uh, and my dad and my mom in the house. And um, up the street was my grandmother and uh, more family because my family was from Estonia. So we lived close together. And um, not knowing what I was looking at, my mom would sleep all the time. My dad would work all the time. And my brother was never home. And... Um, Nobody really explained what addiction alcoholism was to me at that time. So I was, I understood that it wasn't normal. I didn't understand maybe what normal really was. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of um, learning as I went and uh, looking at this dysfunction that um, ultimately I started to, uh, first of all, when you go out of your house, you didn't talk about it and um, you acted like it was normal, although you wouldn't have friends over or anything like that because you were you were afraid what they might see. And how old were you during <clears throat> you, this? Is early childhood or? Yeah, I think she. I think the the addiction started somewhere around when I was ten, and it continued maybe till I was uh, fifteen, and then there was a break, and then uh, her mom passed, and she relapsed, and it was back, and then you know on and off since then. Right. Um, when do you think you? first started to kind of realize that maybe things weren't the same in your house as other houses? Well, one of the reasons I think my mom was able to continue her alcoholism addiction was because her mom lived down the street and her mom was in our house all the time. And uh, she spoke Estonian. She didn't drive, but she could walk. Mm -hmm. So she was cooking, she was cleaning, she was doing all the things that my mom should have done. And, um, you know, so for us as kids, uh, you know, we had a meal, we had clean clothes, we had all those things. Um, but, it, you know, she, my mom slept all the time. Mm-hmm. And then there was a lot of friction sometimes at night when my grandma went home and my dad came home. And um, so, you know, it just, it wasn't right. And right. then as I got older, 
um, I started to, you know, look and I find vodka bottles and I, I started to understand that there's, there's a substance involved. So, um, you know, it's, it's just what you're used to. Right. And, and, um, so I interrupted your, your story, sorry, no, with my okay. question. So, um, what, right around what age were you kind of separating, leaving the house, college age, you know, when did you start your own life? So I went to community college, so I was, I was home until I was probably 19 mm-hmm. and then I went to a four year school, but I felt a connection to my mother all through that time. I was the, the perfect codependent. Um, I took care of her issues. I took care of, you know, um, the house the best I could. My brother was a runner and my dad was a worker. So, and I wasn't going to leave her. So, um, and I wasn't angry about it. Like, I just thought that's what you do. So that was kind of weird to understand later in my recovery that, um, I kind of lost myself in that. Mm -hmm. I can relate as you know to codependent patterns in relationships. They, they were established in my childhood as well in a very early age, and I carried them into my adult relationships. So let, um, it, let's fast forward a little bit to that. How did those patterns show up for you before you had terminology like codependency and stuff like that? Yeah, I think um, it wasn't until counseling and, and uh, you know the, the 12 steps in the rooms that when you start to dig into yourself that you start to look at patterns. Like if there was a party, um, I was not happy until everybody was happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't at a dinner party, you know, if you weren't eating, I, I immediately was drawn to you and said, you know, what, what, what can I get you? How can I help you? Like, um, it's, it's just like, um, it's the way you're wired almost. And so you're always uh, like in this unrest, and the other thing that I still struggle with today is it's really hard to stay where my feet are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm always to the next thing, the word, you know, what if, what, what, what's tomorrow, what's next month, what's next year, you know, and multiply that on top of owning a business where you have to, you know, kind of, I was going to say some of that sort of long range plans, yeah. otherwise you can't sustain your business. Um, so although that personally hurts me a little bit in the, in the business world, it, it's, it helps me. So, mm-hmm. You take some of those strengths, you take some of those weaknesses. And um, it wasn't until somebody really dug deep into, you know, um, into my soul. And they said, you know, how's this working for you? And, you know, the first thing is you become defensive. Right. And then you guard it and then you somehow defend it. And, you know, but when the lights go out and you're in your own head, you you have to kind of reconcile. Is this the way you want to live the rest of your life? And thank God, you know today that I had the addiction in my life and, and that I was able to go through that program of self-discovery mm-hmm. because at 22, 23 years old to, to remake yourself, right? Like, who does that? No, nobody, <laughs> nobody. You know, like, and it sucks. I know Even you today, set out on life with all of these unhealthy skills that you develop to right. survive in right. your you know family of origin. And then you start using them in your early adult life. And right. They just get further ingrained and your relationship patterns start to be built around them. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I know. And I think that many of our listeners can relate to that. You're, you know, And you know how ironic that through all this craziness in my house that, you know, I decided the career that would be best for me would be a builder. <laughs> like, 
you know, builder fixes stuff, right? Yep. Like, you know, like so perfect mm-hmm. for me. Yep. Just, Building houses. So yeah. um, you've talked to me in the past about one of your desires. We'll talk more about Hope Sheds Light a little later on down the road. But you did talk to me early on about what you really wanted to see was how do we get parents, especially not just spouses, but parents to reach out earlier in the process uh, what what was going on when in your house when you first started to suspect like first inklings that maybe Pop had an issue with alcohol right we drugs. didn't we didn't talk about that we talked about my mom but so fast forward mm-hmm. you know three children uh, middle guy and junior in high school um, out of all the kids he was the one that was more quiet than the other two he was intellectually ahead of the other two where did he sense. fall in the pattern number two he was number two mm-hmm. yeah um, athletically, he was gifted, like, so all those things. So he, um, he started to change as a junior. Um, he would take this, uh, he, he culturally Estonian men grow at like 18 years old. It's just the way we are. You know, um, you grow five, six inches in a year and a half, but going through high school, you look like a baby. Mm -hmm. You just, you look like you're 10 years old. And I told both my boys that, and, um, Pavel struggled with that. So, Pavo got rage, you know, the milkshake that makes you bigger. And mm. he was doing anything and everything artificially to try to change who he was. Well, he was the athlete too. So that yeah. probably had an influence. Yeah, and, and, you know, in, in athlete in the specialized world where, you know, you're competing against kids that are physically bigger and stronger that you grew up with, that you played soccer with or lacrosse with mm-hmm. for six years. Right. And then all of a sudden in high school, boom, they start to grow and get faster and stronger and you look like a baby. Right. So you don't make that team. You get that cut. Like, you know, it could be way more than that. But from a parent's eyes, that's what we saw. So, you know, so you started to see that. And then the substances started. We didn't know what that was. The drinking started. We didn't know what that was. To me, it was he's being a boy. He's going to grow through it. And where my wife was like, absolutely not. It's not acceptable. So you take the car away. You ground them. You take their friends away. Like you do everything that you you would do to somebody that doesn't have a substance issue mm-hmm. because you would think those negative consequences would stop the behavior. Unfortunately, you know, we all know in addiction, that's not how that works. Right. So, right. um, his senior year got so bad that he would leave the house for days and we would do the threats and then we would do the deals and then we would, uh, he'd have a couple good days and we would think that it's done. And, you know, eventually... were you reaching out at that point for any support from any, you know, professional or outs besides maybe the school district to like give you some insight at all? Were you using more typical parenting techniques that you thought would be effective? I think, um, and I can only speak for myself that, mm-hmm. that there was such shame and guilt. Um, we didn't talk about it. Um, our friends that had healthy children, uh, we stopped hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Like we became isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, other than, you know, my mom who was in the profession, she did have clean time eventually. And she, uh, we didn't reach out to, you know, um, right. to somebody until it got, it got really, really, really bad. And, um, you know, for me again, it was, it, it was my obsession. And I was going to fix it. And, you know, I was either going to fix it with money or with time or, you know, forget the other kids and everything else that was going on in my life. That This was the sole purpose of my being 
<laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean, I think we can talk about that because I wanted to bring out this idea that you you struggled in isolation, you and Bev, trying to fix this problem, and the shame started to you know creep its way in, which happens with addiction in families, and right. you know, um, what was happening with the rest of the kids in the house too at that time, and your relationship with Bev? Yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> How about that? You just freaking don't know. <laughs> then really didn't care much either. So, right. you know, I mean, obviously the relationship. So with... all good stuff then, right? All good stuff. <laughs> so we thought, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, you know, with Bev, she was harder than me. You know, she came also from that background, but her, her uh, upbringing was with more of a, uh, a nasty uh addict you mm -hmm. know where my mom was a soft addict she was there was more crying and apologies than you know you could put in a bag right. so i didn't look at addiction as as a huge negative thing i just thought it, it was like a um a personality flaw or something like that mm -hmm. where she looked at it like it was evil and so we had to figure that whole thing out and um that wasn't good right so i would you know um the fights got so bad that i just would go behind her back like, you know, I would agree with her because I, I didn't want to fight, but, right. you know, I would manipulate somehow, some way to do this enabling thing that at the time we didn't know it was enabling. But for me, it was like, I, I got to fix this ticket. Right. I'm going to call the chief of police. I'm going to do, get a lawyer. I'm I, 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 you know, and, right. and all along, um, these consequences, not sure if they would have helped if they would have been more meaningful at an earlier age. I don't know. I can't go back to, to worry about that. But today, looking at it, it was wrong. It was so wrong. Well, it just it's um, I, amazing to me to see how comfortable you are to share, to be a public face and figure and put this new new face to addiction to help your community. And, and how can we capture that almost in a bottle and give it to families who are earlier on in the process, right? Uh, you know, what, what, is it really shame that keeps? Yeah. So I, I can just, again, from my perspective, I think the pain becomes so unmanageable. The fear becomes so unmanageable that you break, mm -hmm. you know, and when you break, I think it's the healthiest thing that you can do because that's when you're willing and open to hear a different perspective. And, you know, in the beginning, you would hear a perspective and you were so rigid in your thoughts and your fears and that you wouldn't even consider it. Right. So we talk about it all the time that, you know, everybody's waiting for the individual to get better in anything like forget just addiction and in, in an unhealthy marriage in an unhealthy work environment. Like, you know, if only the boss would change, if only my wife would come home early, if you know, only the addict would stop using like at the end of the day, we're the ones that have to change. Right. Because when we start to accept and change, we, we kind of look at things differently. So I, I don't know. When I did mean, that happen for you? It's still start happening. Happen. It's still <laughs> yeah. You know, good, like, good but the, answer. the open, honest, you know, just saying like, Hey, this is the deal. Um, I would say he had to go through his first rehab because as soon as that was over, he was going to come home and it was all back to normal. Mm -hmm. So the dreams of, I think what happened was the, he, he was a prescription addict and he went into his first rehab. College was on the table. If he just did the right thing, he had that. He gave that away. So there was a little piece of you that breaks, right? Right. So then you go into a longer term care where 
you're saying, okay, you know, we got six months time. He's got it. He relapses. Another piece breaks off, right? Like, so eventually I think three years in, however long that was, uh, multiple rehabs. Now I'm in the rooms getting recovery, having people, you know, with longer time in addiction than me, Mm -hmm. listening to them, how they're managing this, um, you start to just slowly change. And I think what happens is the people that don't have addiction in your life, in their lives that are your friends, this conversation really isn't shared as much. Like, you know, like we're, our kids are different. Our families are different. And whether you like it or not, that's the new normal. And if you don't start to live that and understand that and surround your people, surround yourself with people emotionally and spiritually and, and, you know, educationally wise that have that kind of thing, you you kind of have, you know, you're kind of cheating yourself to me, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I still have those healthy friends and we don't have to talk about addiction. Like we can talk about sports and business and, and all those wonderful things, a great dinner and stuff. And yeah, there's a piece of me that is not ashamed of this. And I am open and honest to anybody that's willing, mm-hmm. but you can't force recovery on somebody. Right. You can't. It's like trying to force religion on somebody, right? Like you just can't. Like, well, it also, you don't want it to, be, to, to define you a hundred percent either, right? You know, your friend to come over and they don't know what to say unless they're talking about addiction. Right. You know, there's a whole other major right. part of your life that doesn't include that, right. that you discovered, I think right. too, through. And, and I think the blessing is for anybody that is willing to to be raw and to relearn and to reshape their lives. Mm-hmm. This is just who you, part of who you are. Like it's not it's not shameful for me. Mm-hmm. If anything, to me, it may be better guy. Like, can you imagine? You go Talk through addiction that. as a kid. You have a son that you watch lose everything, and you're thinking that next consequence is going to be enough. And you lose him. And then, you know, you have these two healthy kids that you have to make amends with because you weren't present. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's incredible to me. And, you know, I, even when I talk about Pav today, I mean, I'm like so disappointed that he didn't get it. Right. You know, but at least today I can admit that it wasn't because we didn't try. Right. You know, and maybe today he looks at us and he's so proud that we changed because we weren't like, I mean, we were the best we could be. Mm-hmm. I was the best I could be, but I was selfish, self-centered, egomaniac, you know, financially driven, like a really good guy, you know, <laughs> I would give to the plate. Right. But I didn't own my stuff. Right. Like I had so many fingers pointing out. I couldn't imagine any pointing back at me. So I don't know. I, I have this piece about me today. Um, and, you know, I share with you personally that sometimes it makes me feel guilty that I don't feel more shame and guilt. But I think the program teaches you, right. like, this is an individual sport. Like, you know, <laughs> we all play together, but right. you got to go home and do your exercises. Right, right, right. right. Like yep. you get just, if you want to get good at yeah, it. You yeah. want to get good at it, right? <laughs> good at the health and healing. Right? And, you know, yes. I think when you're ready to hear the next phase of a professional to give you more advice, like, so initially, that's why I'm a 12-step fan, because it is a really long progression, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, one, two, and three, you know, you know, I can't, he can't, I'm going to let him, like... I get that. And then in the middle is cleaning up your crap. And you're like, I don't have any crap. If the guy would get better, I'm getting better. Right. Right. And then the backside of the steps are like, okay, now you're ready to give it away because you're somewhat healthy, you know, (laughs) and maybe you can help the next guy that's crawling into the room. Right. Right. Like, so. Well, I, that kind of brings us a little bit to hope sheds light, right? 
was it Ron that approached you to say? So I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think what happened was he was a professional in town. I was a professional in town. You hear the stories and, you know, they're always through a like a it's almost like a gossip negative kind right. of thing where you hear it like and you know yeah and, and now you know i'm in it too so like i wanted to find out this guy and i wanted to just be brutally honest with him and right um you know and then we started to share stories and then steve was a part of that and what a shit show it was trying mm-hmm. to get help you know like and you know proud guys and you know like right. what do you mean you know right. like you know we're in a whole <laughs> different arena now right <laughs> so to share that and to know that I wasn't the only one that was feeling it, I was like, we got to tell people. Like, you know, I'm ready to say, okay, I'm not the perfect dad. Didn't have the perfect family. We did our best. We sure loved our kids. Right. And and we got one that's really sick. All right, let's do this, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing that you somehow navigated your way through that storm and landed where you landed. Right. Uh, and how many people... You, you share the story with me. You'll be, you'll share your story and, you know, nobody will openly raise their hand and ask a question. Right. But as soon as you take your seat back down in the audience, you get, oh, my brother and, you know, my sister, my yeah. uncle, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I mean, so the Hope Sheds Light platform was initially we thought it would be informational base. And, you know, obviously I thought the rooms of recovery would, would take care of that part, but we grew into being much more and I'm mm-hmm. so proud, but I remember the the um, first time we had a tabletop. It, I shared this with you many times as we were at the Chamber of Commerce, you know, in Point Beach, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we're next to the fence guy, the computer guy, <laughs> right, right. you know, we're next to the renovation guy. And then here's Hope Sheds Light. And what did they do? There was like 45 tables. You know where they put us? Right in front of the bar. <laughs> so the poor people that, you know, maybe wanted to have a drink, uh-huh. they're like, oh man, they're like, I got to be addiction careful, people, right? Yeah, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> they're going to judge so, me now. So here we are, you know, like, and I'm just standing by the table with Steve and mm-hmm. I don't know where Ronnie was, but they would walk by and they would whisper to me, you know, like, <laughs> hey, you know, I, I got recovery or, hey, I got somebody. And I'm like, what are you whispering for? You know, right. like, and then I said, oh yeah. That's what we do in the beginning. Yeah. Like a whisper is really good. At least you're whispering, right? There's other guys that were walking by that were like, you know, I have a brother or some, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a cousin that needs help. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they went like nine deep, right? <laughs> <laughs> not me. Not even like, I don't need not it. Not even like one away. Like we're 19, you know, a great, great, great uncle, you know, yeah. like, so that's what this stuff does, man. So, so if you don't talk about it and laugh about it, right. you know, like, come on. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think it's so healthy and that's part of the healing process. Uh, but it is finding meaning through all of this uh, yeah. and a purpose. I know you've shared with me in the past that you don't want Pav's memory to be or legacy, I should say. Right. To be his addiction story. Right. You want his legacy to be right. something different. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I don't want to answer this for you, so I'll let you answer it. But in part, Hope Sheds Light is doing that for your work, your family's recovery, and what you bring to hope. So I, I hope you're not disappointed with the answer, no? but uh-uh. you know, Hope Sheds Light's not all about Pav at all. <laughs> That's it it, it uh-huh. brought me to Hope Sheds Light, but uh-huh. it's not, I, I've come so far from that. Mm-hmm. It's Hope Sheds Light about, is about me and, and the, hmm. the personal journey that a family and a loved one without addiction has to go through to find some kind of peace. Mm-hmm. And we do that better than anybody. That's great. Because we share. I mean, I know we have, we're always intertwined with the addict and the alcoholic because 
some of us is, you know, that's how we got here. And some of us, unfortunately, is how we find some kind of peace and, 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 and serenity. But ultimately, um, my, my dream for Hope Sheds Light is, is that as families, we can advocate. Let's take the addict away from, from the, the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, you know, how we got here is one thing. But this is about us and how we stay in recovery and, and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the beauty of that whole story is if addiction is no longer in our lives, we're different. We look at the world different. Right. We, we treat people differently. We don't judge. We stay in our lane. We show a healthy, maybe uh, lifestyle that, you know, some people in, in, that are struggling don't think it's even possible. Like they don't even think it's possible. Like, and it makes me so sad. Right. Well, you define family recovery different than a, a, a large segment of, of the world, really, because you separate out the individual person with the substance use disorder from the family's, their journey, their recovery journey, from the family's recovery journey, totally separate in your mind. Right. And not a lot of people look at it that way. And, and, and in my experience through multiple professions, 10, 12 years of individual counseling and group therapy and the rooms of Al-Anon and, you know, all the other recovery um, resources that we are exposed to. To me, if you don't do that, you don't have a chance. Right. You don't have a chance. Because you're still hitching your wagon, right? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) since when can, you know, tell me when that ever happens that if somebody else's behavior can make us feel better when that happens. Mm -hmm. And and if, if that's the case... That's like a really, that's, that's a slippery slope. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause like, you put all your happiness into their basket. Yeah. And so know. what we talked about before, forget just addiction and anything that you do. If mm-hmm. like, if I'm only happy, if I sell the next house, if I'm only happy, if I, I get that next vacation or that new car, or like if that's, if there is these, I guess, goals or, or these, um, I don't know what like you, what you milestones mean, or milestones something. Mm-hmm. that that's where your happiness is hitched to. Like if you can't wake up and, and just feel good, like for the day and, and I struggle with it. Trust me. I am not preaching. Like I got this all, but right. I'm reminded because of the rooms of recovery and my wife who like, you know, is like the Alan on Nazi, right? Like <laughs> that dude, you better look around. Like, right. cause guess what? I woke up today and I'm 59 years old. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? <laughs> like seriously. Right. right. Like I'm in the third, I'm right. actually going to be in the fourth quarter of my life because we go 20, 40, 60, 80. Okay. So I'm still in the third quarter. The fourth quarter, I better get this, right? Like, because yeah. I don't know if I have overtime or not. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, can you imagine you're waiting for somebody to get better? Holy mackerel. Right. I know because, you know, I have family members who woke up in the fourth quarter of their life. Yeah. Without overtime. Yeah. And said, you know, I let the whole game pass me by. You yeah. Know, it's too late. And then what yeah. happens? What do you get? A bunch of resentments? Yeah. So then you got to go back and fix stuff that you can't fix anymore? <laughs> like, seriously? That's how you're going to spend the fourth quarter? Right. No way. No. I'm out. Right. I'm out. I'm that guy. <laughs> Hopefully I can have the convertible of life and just go, yeehaw. Go. You know? <laughs> you know. Yeah. For, you know. Well, let's talk football, right? Because yeah. we... <laughs> we'll stick with cars. Exactly right. <laughs> um. So Rise With Hope, we started it during the coronavirus pandemic when New Jersey shut down. 
it was just another unique way for Hope Sheds Light to stay connected to our families. Um, we're transitioning it to this podcast and reaching out to an audience to bring them real stories, to try to change the, the, I think the landscape for family recovery in New Jersey and beyond. But we did that by sharing our personal self-care practices. I'd like you to share something with us today that helped you through some of the more challenging pieces of your journey. You didn't join us as one of the volunteers on the Rise with Hope segments on Facebook. So this is your opportunity to share with us something, a nugget, a, a, a gift that you can give to the audience on self-care, especially those parents who are still in the thick of it. Yeah. I mean, so I, I have to do this in a progression, right? Because mm -hmm. so be patient with yourself and know that you get to, to do this a few times. Like, so there's no perfect um, like I always say when, when we're sharing in recovery, I think you have to hear healthy recovery a lot and then you get to feel it a little and then you get to feel it more and then you get to share it in your words, which, um, in the beginning might be a struggle, might be pain, might be, you know, all these things that you're feeling, but know that you're not judged know that every person that walks into the rooms of recovery felt or feels exactly like you do today. And my advice is to surround yourself with the healthiest people that you, you know, you can identify with in, in, in a recovery environment, wherever that is. And just understand that depending on the personality of the person, um, there are people that have recovery that have real, you know, like a soft spoken, um, recovery method. And then there's the more rigid, um, you know, people in recovery that are more of a matter of a fact. So, um, and the reason I'm sharing that with you is because in my er early journey, um, the real rigid recovery people insulted me, mm. they challenged me and I didn't like it and I didn't like them. And, um, I hung around long enough to grow past the softer recovery people and I longed for the hard recovery. I needed the guy to go really, <laughs> really dude, right. you know, like, yeah. and, and, you know, like, I know we can't curse on the podcast, but I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, really dude. Yeah. Like I could punch you right in the face right now, right, you know, right. like, um, I know you'll lean to me sometimes and be like, <laughs> was I a little too rough there? <laughs> and, and, and just know it because I think all of us are in our hearts. We, we have the, we feel the pain that the person's feeling. Mm -hmm. And to me, addiction makes me so angry because it never lets us go. And it's not until the individual that's suffering, and I'm talking about the family member, is ready to let go of the person that's suffering mm -hmm. and to do that personal experience growth that they start to get some change. And it's just, it's a brutally long thing. And like I can tell you now that I'm, I'm, because of COVID and because I'm so obsessed with my business and, you know, I am being lazy with my program. Mm. And I can tell you, I am irritable. I am edgy. I am more judgmental than normal. And I don't have an addict in my life. Right. So here comes the old Arvo back, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what he's good at. <laughs> you know, get be the loud guy in the room and people will listen to you. And uh, I, I'm just, you know, 
I'm starting to feel like, you know, you had said something to me yesterday um, when we spoke that, you know, you need the rooms for you again. Right. And, and like I had to pull over and go, yeah. And the rooms aggravate me right now. Because <laughs> when I listen to those people, it. I don't want to hear it. You know, no, I want to stay pissed off. Right. You know, like, no, right. like COVID sucks. And yeah, yeah blah, blah, blah. You know, like. Really? But we talk a lot and, and we'll wrap it up. So like, anyway, I don't linear. know if I helped you, you right? Oh, yeah. With that answer. You but... did. Well, you helped a lot of people out there. I'm <laughs> sure. You, you know, uh, we could talk forever. What I just heard and what I want the audience to hear is it's not a linear process. You don't just go from point A to point B to point C and you're healed. It's not finite. It's infinite. And it's, you know, cyclical. And you you can revisit this you're catching yourself sooner. You're identifying where you are and you're going to circle back and start, yeah. you know, get what you need. Yeah. But you could, you're not sitting here saying, you know, what the hell, how, do, why am I still here? You know. So, so I guess to summarize it, right. Uh -huh. It's, it's all about options, right? So you can, you can, in, in hope sheds light, in our recovery, in a podcast, in the rooms in surrounding ourselves with people that have this experience, you get their strength and hope. And you get to have options. If you choose to hang around and, and stay, you know, in that dark place, in that sad place, that's your choice. No one's going to judge you. Right. But if you want to see, you know, the shining star in a room that has the journey that you have, that is living a, a healthier, happier life, you know, and you, today maybe you choose to judge them that they don't care as much as you or love as much as you or whatever. And you want to bullshit yourself with that. <laughs> you're welcome to it. Right. But. If you want to get to that other side, you know, where, you know, hopefully I can stay. Um, it's a beautiful life. And it, you know, like we share before, like your story made you who you are. And it, and it yeah. really makes you, if, if you do it with a lot of people in this um, field, a better you. Yeah, right. Like, definitely. like when we get to talk, like Pam and I can talk for like 10 hours yep. and, and laugh the whole time and share the whole time and, and what a what a cool thing! I could have done that right. ten years ago. I know me either. Didn't want to either. Like be pissed, right? <laughs> yep. Like don't yep. you dare go there. Well, for me, you. it was the victim. I loved you know wallowing in that role. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to take responsibility it's there. for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's everyone else's yeah. fault, and everyone right. else has to fix it. Yeah. yeah. So. So I would just invite everybody to be open and and do not isolate. It that's right. what this thing does. Great. Right. Yep. It just, yep. you know, makes you alone. It makes you sad. It makes you wonder. Um, yeah. All right. And well, there's no finish line. There isn't. That's the thing. There right. Isn't. Yep. There is no finish line. Yep. Now, well, hopefully we have overtime. Nothing easier. Oh, yeah. Hopefully we get some overtime. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> we put in a tough first quarter, I think. So. Yeah, we did. So hopefully we get some overtime. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for stepping out of your comfort zone five years ago, six years ago to to um you could have stayed you know you could have stayed comfortably behind the shadows and you stepped out you joined arvo i mean ron and steve and opened up hope sheds light uh and helped so many people so I just hopefully thank we can you keep for it that. going yeah yeah we are we will <laughs> so thank you out yes. there also for joining us on rise with hope remember that we have a new email address it's rise at hopeshedslight.org send us your stories your comments your feedback we want to engage you I want to hear from you. I want to share your stories and have a dialogue with you. Thank you so much. If you'd like to support Hope Sheds Light, you can visit us at hopeshedslight.org and join our circle of hope. Remember, we want to hear from you. 
share your stories with us. You can reach us at rise at hopeshedslight.org. Till next time.